Hello and welcome to the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee. Judges, my friends, this week Timothy and I actually needed a break. Um, never fear, we will be back next week to review favorite YA fiction and we've got some special, special stuff coming up for you in September. Um, until then, we thought we would tide you over with a little sneak preview of a project I've been working on that I'm really excited about. Uh, this is a podcast I like to call The Ghost Box, working title. It is a podcast where I interview people about their ghost stories. This episode is about the theater I've been working at, the Off-Broadway Theater, where I've done a couple shows and plays. A lot of my awesome friends contributed to this, and I wanted to put it out there for all of you to enjoy and listen to, see what you think. Uh, give us any feedback on the iTunes or the Twitters or wherever you like to scream into the internet void. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. This is called The Phantom of the OBT, and it's uh, Dory Peacock Presents The Ghost Box. Thanks, everyone. I was flipping a breaker to turn on lights, and so you flip the breaker and the lights come on. And I flipped the breaker and the lights came on, and then they went back out, and then they came back on. And that's why you believe in ghosts? Sure. <laughs> you think it's possible that that was not a ghost? I doubt it, because I was the only one here. Oh. Yeah. Could it have been an electrical problem? I mean, it is the OBT, so possibly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, I doubt it, because I was standing at the breaker. It's been said that 75% of people believe they've experienced ghost activity. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that statistics sound good at the beginning of a podcast. So here are some more. I've spent about 80% of my life in theaters, and of those, probably 90% were haunted. How do I know? Because my first question when I enter a new theater is almost always, do you have a ghost? And 90% of the time, the answer is yes. I was working at the box office one day, and we had some patrons come in to see the show. And there was a lady that came in, and she was staring up this stair. She grabbed me, and she said, hey, is your theater haunted? And I go, why, yes, we have ghosts. And she goes, I feel auras and spirits. And she goes, I can see a lady up there. We've had homeless We've people, people. kind of come in and, and do that. So we've, not very often, obviously, but we have had that happen before. And so we, when someone says, uh-oh, we have a problem, we always search the whole place. And nine out of ten, nine out of, geez, 99 out of 100 times, it's uh, some weird ghost thing, which is, like, oddly comforting because... Because <laughs> at least you're not getting robbed. Lately, I've been spending about 40% of my time at the Off-Broadway Theater, which is reportedly haunted by not one, not two but at least four ghosts. I'm Dory Peacock. This is The Ghost Box. The Off-Broadway is a small theater tucked away in the northeast corner of the Clift Memorial Building at the corner of 3rd South and Main Street in Salt Lake City. It's the kind of place where you do a show in your family, like the Olive Garden, but with better food. They produce parodies of popular TV shows and movies. I've been in about five of them. It's only been a live performance theater for the last two decades or so, but its history goes back almost a hundred years. I don't know a whole lot. Um, I know 
it used to be, um, it was built as a mercantile building by the, the Clifts. I don't even know the guy's first name. But um, I had heard that uh, Mr. Clift's wife, um, since there was no, you know, videos and film, there's there's some film, but there wasn't any way to really access it. Uh, you'd have to always leave your home and go watch the movies. She thought, man, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want to go downstairs and watch movies and then go back upstairs and go home to, to my house where I wouldn't have to really leave. So she built a theater and uh, that was a, a turn of the century. Um, no, it had to be in the 20s. That was the voice of Eric Jensen, the theater's artistic director. Eric is partially right. The guy's name was Francis D. Clift. He was a mining and real estate magnate in the 19th century. The building was built in 1919 by his widow, Virtue Butcher Clift, to honor her husband's memory. Virtue Clift never lived upstairs from the theater. It's actually a commercial space, not a residential one. But she did live a block away at the New House Hotel, so she could easily have walked over to supervise construction or catch a flick. Sidebar, the New House Hotel was blown up in 1984, literally. You better believe that's going to be on the Instagram. The Clifts weren't the first people to put a theater on the spot, though. In 1911, Edward Mahisi opened a picture house that he initially named after himself and later called the Rialto Theater. When plans for the Clift office building were announced, Mahisi sold his lease to the Universal Picture Company, who would open the Kinema Theater on the first floor of the new office building. And yes, I said that right. It's Kinema. With a K. I don't get it either. In 1920, the still-new Kinema Theater made cinema history when a movie called Shipwrecked Among Cannibals ran for an unprecedented seven days. Can you imagine? Universal sold the theater a few years later, and it changed hands fairly often throughout the 20th century. A plaque outside the building claims the theater stayed in operation as a movie theater only until 1968, but newspaper ads suggest it was run as a dollar theater throughout the 70s. When I asked Eric about it, he told me the theater had a, uh, shall we say, a risque past? Post-Rialto, prior Broadway stage, it was a pornographic theater. Wait, really? Yes, it was. And guess how I know of that? Maybe that's why the ghost is such a perv. Yeah, maybe. Um, the reason I know that is one of our actresses' fathers <laughs> used to come to this theater when it was a pornographic theater, and he told me little stories about how he would sit there, and sometimes the theaters would be crowded, and you'd have people kind of sitting closer to you, oh. rubbing your leg. And he's like, uh, no. And then he'd move. <laughs> and he says, man. I couldn't verify that pornographic films were shown here. But if I'm being honest, I didn't try that hard. I do know that in the late 80s, the theater was purchased and converted to a live performance venue by actor William Sargent, who you may recognize from a bit part on an episode of Star Trek. Sargent called the theater the Broadway stage, and five years later he sold it to Eric Jensen and his partners, who renamed it the Off-Broadway Theater, and installed a resident improv troupe, which I joined about two years ago. No big deal. Just the oldest running improv troupe in Utah. Don't worry about it. So while I was milling around backstage before an improv show, 
I cornered actress and paranormal investigator Jessica Stevens. I'm the one that's, yes, I've done ghost hunts here. I asked Jess if she had seen any ghosts on those hunts. Um, there were a couple up in, well, one up in where the old sound booth was. Um, I've also seen one downstairs in the basement in the hallway, and then there was a woman back here backstage. Like when was that woman back here? It was probably two years ago when we were doing a ghost hunt. Um, she was wearing white, and I could see, like, clearly see the blonde hair, and yeah. Do you think any of the haunts here are intelligent? I think several of them here are intelligent. See, paranormal theorists believe that some ghosts are just residual energy, basically images and noises, that don't affect and are not affected by their environment. It's like a recording that plays over and over again. An intelligent haunt, on the other hand, is a sentient being, aware of its surroundings and able to interact with the living to a certain extent. Sort of like Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis in Beetlejuice. I do, yeah. How, how many would you say intelligent haunts in this place? Um, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've had a few different experiences every time I've been here with a few different spirits. Um, though there is a lady down in the female bathroom that is very intelligent. Uh, there is the man downstairs in the hallway that I've seen. Also feel like he's very intelligent. Um, also, the, they talk about the little girl that's here. I also feel like she's an intelligent spirit. Do you think she's a real little kid or a super demon? I don't think she's a super demon. I, I've dealt with super demons. Have you? Well, not super demons. But just demons. little pansy ones, yeah. Like, like very wussy demons. Kind of, yeah. They <laughs> run away and stuff. Now that Jessica has described each haunt, we're going to hear stories from people who have interacted with each of the four ghosts. We'll start with a little girl. She seems to be the only one with a name. One night there were some ghost hunters here, and um, I was kind of interested in it, and I, you know, I've always felt uh, that ghosts were real, and um, so they came and wanted to do, you know, some recordings. There's some, uh, what do they call those? PVs? EVP? EVP. I never remember what that is. Anyway, so they did, and we just followed around with them. We had all the lights off, you know, and just we were taking pictures and doing recordings and asking questions all the time. I thought that was really interesting. They kept asking questions over and over and over again. The, the idea is, is the, the entities will answer, and you hear it on the EVPs. This is Clarence Strone. He's a member of the board of directors for the OBT, and he's been doing plays and improv shows here for over 20 years. So... We were, you know, walking around, and they were throwing out questions and taking pictures and blah, blah, blah. And they, um, I think they were in one area, and Ben and I were in another area. And so we could hear the, the lady that was there, the ghost hunting, we could hear her asking questions, you know, like down on the right side of us. But then we started to hear answers on the left side of us. <laughs> so, so they kept asking questions like, uh, is it okay if we're here? What's your name? And then that's when I specifically heard Rachel. So that's why we call the ghost Rachel, because I heard her answer Rachel. And uh, so Rachel, my impression of Rachel is she's about eight years old. She's a little girl, and she was here in the theater because her parents were like a manager or owner of the theater at one time. Again, this is just my impression. I have not researched any of this. That, um, and so she kind of stays hidden because they told her when you know the patrons are here, you cannot be upstairs. You can't. You just have to stay downstairs. So that's why most of the time we feel her is downstairs. And we've got this little the janitor closet in there. They showed you that down there. That's kind of where her hangout is, where she lives and where she plays. And of course, everyone tells stories about props moving around down there, toys mostly. 
but uh, we were, they were doing the, the call-outs to her asking questions and recording and recording, and we heard her answer, Rachel, and Ben looked at me, and I was like, she said Rachel, right? And he goes, yeah, she said Rachel. So we were kind of even more interested, so we went down, farther down into the basement, into the, the spot where I think they've got the sink down there, and where it branches off into what used to be the, the costume closet and then the dressing rooms. There's a little annex area there, and I just kind of felt impressed to, to stand with an open body posture and just put my hands out like this. And I felt her grab my right hand, and I knew that Ben had talked about the little girl here a lot. And so, and he, and he had told me she really likes to follow me around. She feels really comfortable with me. And, I, and he was standing at my left, so I hit him. I said, Ben, she's got a hold of my hand. Do you want to hold on to her? And he goes, yeah. So I transferred her from my right hand to my left hand, and then handed her to Ben, and his face just went, oh, I can feel her, I can feel her, I can feel her holding on to me. So that, that was really cool. It was cool. It wasn't freaky. It was, it was really, yeah, it was really comforting, you know? <laughs> Clarence isn't the only one who's seen Rachel. So about 20 years ago, um, maybe 16 years ago, I was working upstairs in my office with another partner. This is Sandy Jensen. She helps run the administrative side of the theater, and she's married to, you guessed it, Eric Jensen from the beginning of the podcast. And she has a son, and I have a son. And I was working late. It's about 3, 3.30, somewhere late in the morning, okay? And I was just doing office stuff and taxes and things like that. And I hear a child's laughter. <laughs> just laughing and her son has a high-pitched voice he had an accident when he was a child where he poked in his throat and so he had kind of that nasal high higher pitch laugh and so I yelled out and I hollered hey Melissa I'm up here working are you here I thought maybe she stopped in late with her son to get something because her office is uh, adjacent to mine and I didn't hear a reply but I still heard laughter I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. I'm here by myself, so I'll just go down and check it out. So I come down this right side of the stairs here, and I hear laughter, and then I see like a, a white thing flashing that kind of like looks like a little girl running up this side. So I just go up to think, oh, my gosh, did a child walk in the door somewhere? We left something unlocked. And I see this white thing just kind of floating across here, mm -hmm. just laughing. And so I walk up because the two sides are the same. And I walk up this side. I'm like, hey, cut it out. Melissa, are you teasing me? Sam here? And there was nothing. Nothing. And then we found out later on when one of the ghost hunters came and did um, a ghost hunt here. They um, asked some questions. And there was a little girl named Rachel. And she's about six years old who died in this building when she was young. So she haunts this building, and I believe that was her that I got to see. And other ghost haunts since then and up to now, when people ask for questions, there's a little girl named Rachel. We told Eric that that story maybe weeks later. Yeah, because I don't think he was here for the ghost hunters, but... Uh, uh, and when he told us the story, we were all kind of creeped, we are all kind of spooked, and it's about just really late. I don't... I don't know what time, it was probably after midnight. And we're all sitting there at the front of the stage. And then we talked about, we were telling Eric that story. And then of course, John was telling his experiences. And, and I was talking about, well, I don't really think she comes upstairs that often. She doesn't feel comfortable or she's afraid to come upstairs. 
We kind of talked about that. And then at that point, I felt her presence. And I was like, oh, she's here right now. Now, in our theater, we have two aisles, one far right and one far left. And then all the audience seats are right in the middle. And on the outside of the aisles are curtains that go all the way up to the ceiling. So these big, long curtains, big, tall curtains. And um, so when Clarence told us that story, all of the hairs on our necks stood up and we just kind of felt kind of freaky and kind of weirded out, you know, except for one of our guys. And he goes, well, you know what? If I would have seen Rachel and if she would have done that to me, you know what I would have said? And, you know, of course, we're joking around. John yells at the top of his lungs, Rachel, you get out of here! And he yelled it just like that. And I swear to you, as soon as he said that, the curtains on the aisle left side just all moved in succession as though someone were running up the aisle away from him, touching the curtains as they went. And then the curtains waved from the stage all the way to the back of the house. So fast, too. It was like, it was like someone had turned on a fan, but obviously there was no, there was no fan. Where, where did that draft come from? And why, right when he said, Rachel, get out of here, did the did the wind suddenly start doing that? And we just, all three of us are like, we gotta go. <laughs> We're out of here. We're out of here. We gotta go. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. I couldn't find any archival or historical evidence that a girl had ever died at the theater. However, most of the land now occupied by the Clift Building was once home to the Clift Hotel, a popular boarding house which knew its share of premature death in an era where childhood illness was common and most people who died did so at home. Maybe that's why Rachel feels more comfortable in the basement underneath the old boarding house. Either way, she's not alone down there. Jess brought in a bunch of her buddies that are ghost hunters, and we spent the entire night here hunting. And that was crazy. I think we did it two nights. And the first night, a bunch of us were down in the women's lounge. Let me give you the lay of the land here. Like most old movie houses, the bathrooms of the OBT are in the basement, and there are separate staircases on either side of the lobby, one leading down to the men's, the other leading to the ladies. The women's lounge Clarence is talking about is a sort of antechamber to the ladies' bathroom. It has a big mirror for checking your hair, a few chairs to sit and nurse a baby, and a few odd bits of decor that occasionally double a set dressing. And um, that's where the woman... Made, made herself present. And uh, she was, she's a bit of a, I don't want to say snotty, but she's very particular about the types of things that she likes to hear people talk about because we were there talking, blah, 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 and they've got these instruments that can determine whether there's energies around in the room or not. And somebody said something a little bit off color and the meter just dropped. Like she laughed. She wasn't going to listen to it. So we're just like, oh, yeah. And then somebody else was like, yeah, she's really kind of, really kind of uppity about that. She's, I don't know if they want to use the word prude or not, but I don't know. She just felt like, we all felt like she didn't want to hear what, yeah, proper. That would be better to say. We just felt like she didn't want to hear that kind of humor, so she left. Between them, Eric, Clarence, and Sandy have logged hundreds of hours at the theater, and maybe that's enough to make someone sensitive and superstitious. When you're alone in your workplace at night or prowling the corridors of an old building in search of spirits, it's easy to psych yourself out. It's less easy to dismiss claims made by an outsider. So uh, we used to do a lot of children's productions here, and during one of them, um, 
at the very end, a woman came up to me and she said, uh, are you one of the kind of bosses here? And I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was already getting ready to take her complaint because that's the only reason anybody ever wants to talk to me. And I said, yeah, uh, was there something wrong? She goes, oh, no, no, no. Well, not really. Um, have you ever heard or seen ghosts here at theater? And I said, uh, not really, why? She said, well, I was downstairs um, in your lady's dressing room and there's a big mirror down there. And if you look at it, there's some, some um, this is kind of an odd mirror because it's an old mirror, so it doesn't reflect really I know, cleanly or brightly. It's kind of dull because it's old. And uh, it has two panes on it, uh, a double pane system. And so when you look at it, you see the reflection of the glass and then you see the reflection of the mirror. So it's, it's kind of weird looking. You, you have to, it, it, it looks like there's two kind of reflections on it. Um, and as she was looking at it, um, she looked a little closer and it seemed like there was a second face in there. And she looked closer and she thought to herself, oh my gosh, this is a two-way mirror. Oh, who is in there? looking right out in the ladies' lobby, right outside the ladies' bathroom. What creep is looking? Oh, this is really weird. You know, I'm going to talk to somebody about that. And just as she got close to look at herself, you know, I mean, the whole thing took place in just an instant, she noticed that it wasn't her face looking at her, but rather an older woman, that um, a, a woman from an older time, uh, like the 1800s, 1890s. And she said, as she looked close, she, as she looked close, she stepped back, but the reflection did not step back. In fact, it came forward. And then it came out of the mirror and started to slowly follow her. And she grabbed her little child and she grabbed her by the hand and said, come on, sweetie, let's go upstairs right now. And the little girl was just unaware of anything. And she said she walked up the stairs, uh, and our stairs kind of go up and around. And then as she got to the top of the stairs right over there, she looked across where the stairs go up to the balcony, and there was an opening up there, and she saw the same woman looking down at her. <laughs> and it freaked her out, and so she just quickly ran right into the theater by the seats where all the people were. And it just, and she said, I couldn't even think about the performance. I couldn't think about the play or the popcorn or anything. It was like, all I could think about was that woman. Now, I told you that story so I could tell you this story. <laughs> um, a few years ago, we did a show called The Phantom of the OBT, and it was a parody of the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, in it, there was a phantom and Christine and Raoul. I tried to get these three people for the uh, publicity shot uh, here in the lobby, and it was on an off night. It was like a Wednesday night or something, so nothing was going on except for that. And so um, one of the um, women photographers, or she, she was a woman, she came in and, and she um, said, "Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to try to uh, get you know, a, a picture of your cast." And I said, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And I, I forgot her name or any of that stuff. But she came in and um, I said, yes, the actors are kind of putting on their makeup right now. We'll talk for a minute. She, she 
interviewed me a little bit and just kind of talked about the, uh, the, the show a little bit and was really excited to see the other costumes. And I thought, what are you talking about? You haven't seen any costumes yet. But okay, whatever. I didn't really ask her about it. She was excited to see the other costumes. Right, okay, whatever. So the guy comes out and Raul is dressed as a, you know, Victorian gentleman. Of course, the Phantom looks like the Phantom with the big hat on and the cape and everything. And uh, she says, okay, well, we're just, we're just waiting for somebody else. I said, oh, I'm sorry. We did have Christine coming, but she was unable to come. She wasn't able to, she wasn't able to get all, the night off or something. And so it'll just be these two guys and we'll just, well, it'll be okay. We'll just have them sword fighting or, you know, looking menacing at each other for the photo. And she goes, no, that's okay. We'll just use the, the woman that was standing on the stairs in costume. Can we just use her? And I said, excuse me? She, yeah, the woman that was on the staircase on the way up to the balcony, just that, stand, that was standing right over there. She looked really good, too. She had all that, that weird-looking makeup on, kind of scary. And I said, um, you're the only woman here. <laughs> it's me and you and those two guys. Nobody else is in this theater. And she went, oh, I thought it was a ghost. I didn't say anything, but I knew it was a ghost. I just thought it was so creepy. So that's two sightings of a woman on the balcony stairs by two different observers on two different days. And it doesn't stop with the women's bathroom, as a local TV personality found out when he visited the theater. And he, was, he talked about how he's like, okay, we're going to get started. We're waiting for somebody else, but we're going to get started. I'm going to go down and use the restroom. And they didn't turn the lights on because they couldn't figure out where they were. So he's down there, and it's so pitch black down there, right? He had left the stall door open, and I guess he was on his phone or whatever. <laughs> and then he uses the restroom, and he goes back upstairs. And he says, oh, we said to him, hey, uh, sorry, we uh, didn't turn the light on for you. I guess that wasn't so easy for you to get in there, huh, if you're not used to it. And he says, oh, yeah, I was fine. But uh, your cleaning lady was kind of rude, though. I said, what? He says, yeah, your cleaning woman. Some old woman, she poked her head in and looked at me. And I said, hey, can a brother do his business in here? And we said, there's five of us here. <laughs> there's no cleaning woman here. I'm the one that cleans the bathrooms. We don't hire a cleaning woman. And we went downstairs and looked, hoping that there was no other person in the building. Yikes. And he goes, no, you don't do that. You don't do that to Polynesians. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, that's our ghost. Was she wearing white? Yeah, she had a white dress on. They're like, yeah, that's our ghost. <laughs> he, just, he just went white. He's like, no, you can't, you can't say that to me. You can't say that to me. <laughs> so he got pretty freaked. I wasn't able to reach out to the TV personality for comment, which is why we're not using his name. Now, Eric was there the day of that sighting, but he didn't see the apparition, and Clarence only heard this story later when he ran into the TV personality at another event. So it's difficult to determine if two haunts are sharing territory, or if there is only one ghost who haunts both the bathrooms and the balcony stairs. In any event, the bathroom and lobby haunts seem pretty unmalicious, if a little startling. But not all ghosts at the off-Broadway are so benign. I was told that uh, the last, one of the last three ghost hunts 
um, that there's an ominous uh, spirit yeah. present that is really bad downstairs in the hallway yeah, that think. all the ghosts try to avoid. Sandy wasn't the first person to mention a malevolent presence to me. During that same backstage interview where I cornered Jess, I happened to speak to another actress, Caroline, who told me her story. I went down to the bathroom alone, and I don't do that anymore because I always go with Hope. She's kind of my bathroom buddy. But um, I had heard about the stories from the lady down there, but someone told me that she came up and wanted to one of the balconies, so I wasn't really scared. I'm not scared of ghosts. I know they're there. I respect them. And when I was there, I all of a sudden had this fear or this thought that I had to run and I had to get out of there. And so I was going up the stairs and I saw this figure. It was all black. I couldn't see it, couldn't make anything out, but it just kind of told me in my mind to run faster. And I almost tripped over the stairs. And that was probably one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened to me. I've worked in other theaters with malevolent haunts that manifest more as a feeling than an apparition. I've never known one to appear as a figure or to have a name. But let's see what Clarence has to say. Yeah, there's a mean one that used to live down in the hallway. I say live, but that's kind of where the ghost would hang out. Uh, super, super mean. His name is Michael. He, he, he holds a lot, a lot of anger. And he's very protective of that space down there. Mm. And one night when we were here ghost hunting, doing one of the overnight stuff, he came up stairs and we had to push him back down. How did you do that? Uh, we, both Jess and I quickly jumped up and just like pushed energy, like positive energy, and told him to go back downstairs. That's where you belong, you go back downstairs. Uh, he did, and my impression was that he came up because at the time there, were, there was a theater group renting the theater. It was a children's theater group. And my impression was that he was here to get the kids. Get, get them? Get the kids. He wanted, he was very interested in the kids. And it really, really upset me because I was the director of that show. And I wanted to, I really wanted to make sure those kids were safe, right? So I was really super upset and really angry with him and told him he can't, he's not allowed up here when they're here. You're not allowed up here. You stay downstairs. These kids are not yours. My impression was, is he was on stage career here at one point, and people also talked about a woman that was here, and she's very quiet, and she's very afraid of Michael, and my impression was, or at least the, I don't want to say vision, but the story that was presented to me was that, um, so there were a bunch of us down underneath the stage in that crawl space down there, and other people were giving their impressions about the woman, and that she had an injury in her head, and somebody else said, yeah, like a light hit her. And I immediately... Are we talking about the same woman that appears in the bathroom? Uh, I No, I think this was a younger woman. I think the woman that appears in the bathroom is an old woman. And, and we like to call her the woman in white because people have seen a woman in white walk around the balcony stairways here. Um, but this specifically was a younger woman who's very shy, very quiet, and, and is very afraid of Michael. And when Michael comes in, she disappears totally. So people were talking about her injury... And I think she had a name, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, they talked about she got hit in the head with the light, and I immediately was impressed with the feeling that Michael had killed her. He hit her. 
with a light. And I was just, I was down, and we were all on the stage, and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, he killed her. And they're like, what, what? I go, yeah, that's why he's so angry. He's just so pent up and so angry that he, you know, he had, he'd killed her. Do you think he killed her when they were both alive? Yeah, yeah. I think they were here in the theater, and, and he, he had killed her. And that's, and on, for whatever reason, she's stuck here. And then, you know, whatever reason, he is stuck here. So that was, that was probably the, the creepiest. <laughs> Again, I couldn't back this one up with historical research. But if there was a suspicious death and it wasn't recognized as a murder, it may not have been reported anywhere. And without the victim's name, tracing the death is nearly impossible. There may not have been a murder, but the theater has known tragedy. In 1912, a fire broke out in the operations room, badly burning a projectionist. But he did live. And no patrons were hurt in the fire. In fact, the Salt Lake Herald praised the theater's staff for getting everyone out calmly and safely. Still, if my face got burned, I'd be pretty mad too. So we may never know who Rachel or Michael or the woman backstage were in life, but I have a theory about the woman in the bathroom. Oh, this is the prude. Oh my gosh. Do you think that's her? That is certainly her. What's her name? Her name is Virtue Clift. I found a photo of her online and showed it to Clarence. I asked him if he thought she could be the one people have been seeing. So do you, does that feel like it might be I think the woman from the bathroom? I think she might be the one who comes through the mirror. Yeah, because there's an older lady that, that people see in the mirror a lot. Wow, that's interesting. Yep, that's her. <laughs> Virtue. Isn't that a great name? Yeah, it is. It kind of fits, huh? The photo appears to have been taken in the 1920s, a few years before her death in 1925. I'll put the photo on Instagram so you can judge for yourself, but to me, she looks like the kind of stately matron you wouldn't want to mess with. A poised, elegant survivor of the 19th century. Stern and composed, with just a hint of a smile. So maybe Virtue Clift, the land developer, the real estate heiress, the Mormon pioneer, sticks around to keep an eye on the building she dedicated to her husband's memory. I like that version of the story. But shoot, man, I don't know. It's just as possible that the theater's just a fun place to be for the dead as well as the living. No, I've never felt, like, I've never really felt evil spirits. And I feel like if you're not afraid, you know, because this theater shares the gift of laughter, and I think it just brings people, even ghosts out. They want to laugh. They want to be a part of the joke. They want to be a part of the scene. They want to see a Samoan guy on the toilet. That's true. <laughs> yep. Yep. Make a joke. Scare him to death. everyone thanks for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed this little preview it was written and recorded and performed by me dory peacock special thanks to all my friends who added their stories to this episode eric and sandy jensen clarence strone jessica stevens uh, caroline flood ben tribe and ben tribe's girlfriend hannah whose last name i totally didn't forget i lied i totally forgot uh thanks again for listening let me know what you think on itunes or on twitter or wherever you like to scream into the internet void uh, our music credits for this episode will be in the show notes. So check that out. Um, 
and uh, find out where to get your free stock music, basically. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Facebook at the Judgment Day Refreshment Committee, Instagram and Twitter at JDRC Podcast. Email us at JDRC Podcast at Gmail. Follow me at uh, Das D Train on Instagram or Dory E. Peacock on Twitter. Follow Tim on Twitter at Cyber Prior. And that is all I have for you. Thank you. Dude, I'm, I'm pretty convinced by the OBT ghost story. Yeah? Who told you the ghost story? I just heard it on your podcast from Ben Tribe.